Chapter Nineteen of the Watchers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Watchers by A. E. W. Mason. Chapter Nineteen. The Last. Mesmer at this date was a youth of twenty-four, but the writings of Van Helmont and Vierdig and G. Maxwell had already thrown more than a glimmering of light upon the reciprocal actions of bodies upon each other and had already demonstrated the existence of a universal magnetic force by which the human will was rendered capable of influencing the minds of others it was not however till seventeen years later in the year seventeen seventy five to be precise that mesmer published his famous letter to the academies of europe and by a strange chance it was in the same year that i secured a further confirmation of his doctrine and at the same time an explanation of the one matter concerned with this history of which i was still in ignorance i learned at last how young peter tortu came by his death i did not learn it from his father that implacable man i never saw after the night when we listened to his footsteps descending the stairs in the darkness he was gone the next morning from the islands nor was any trace of him for all the hue and cry discovered for a long while not indeed for ten years when my son who was then a lad of eight while playing one day among the rocks of peninna's head on st mary's dropped clean out of my sight or rather out of helen's sight for i was deep in a book and did not raise my head until a cry from my wife startled me we ran to the loose pile of boulders where the boy had vanished and searched and called for a few minutes without any answer but in the end a voice answered us and from beneath our feet it was the boy's voice sure enough but it sounded hollow as though it came from the bowels of the earth by following the sound we discovered at last between the great boulders an interstice which would just allow a man to slip below ground this slit went down perpendicularly for perhaps fifteen or twenty feet but there were sure footholds and one could disappear in a second at the bottom of this hole was a little cave very close and dark in which one could sit or crouch on the floor of this cave i picked up a knife and bringing it to the light i recognized the curved blade which i had seen tortue once polish upon his thigh in the red light of a candle the cave upon inquiry was discovered to be well known amongst the smugglers though it was kept a secret by them and they called it by the curious name of issachum pooker this discovery was made in the year of seventeen sixty eight and seven years later i chanced to be standing upon the quay at leghorn when a vessel from oporto laden with wine and oil dropped anchor in the harbour and her master came ashore i recognised him at once although the years had changed him it was nathaniel roper i followed him up into the town where he did his business with the shipping agent and thence repaired to a tavern i entered the tavern and sitting down over against him at the same table begged him to oblige me by drinking a glass at my expense which he declared himself ready to do but i cannot tell why you should want to drink with me rather than another said he oh as to that said i we are old acquaintances 
he answered with an oath or two that he could not lay his tongue to the occasion of our meeting you swear very fluently and well said i but you swore yet more fluently i have no doubt that morning you sailed away from st helen's island without the portuguese king's cross his face turned the colour of paper he half rose from his chair and sat down again i was never on tresco he stammered who spoke of tresco my friend said i with a laugh i made mention of st helen's yet you were upon tresco have you forgotten the shed on castle down the abbey burial ground and then he knew me though for a while he protested that he did not but i persuaded him in the end that i meant no harm to him you were at sierra leone with cullen maybe said i tell me how young peter tortue came by his death and he told me the story which he had before told to old peter in an alehouse at wapping peter it appeared had not been able to hold his tongue at sierra leone it became known through his chattering that glenn's company and cullen mail were going up the river in search of treasure and it was decided for the common good to silence him lest he should grow more particular and relate what the treasure was and how it came to be buried on the bank of that river george glenn was for settling the matter with a stab of a knife but cullen mayle would have none of such rough measures i know a better and more delicate way said he a way very amusing too you shall all laugh to-morrow and calling peter tortue to him he betook himself with the whole party to the house of an old buccaneering fellow john leadstone who kept the best house in the settlement and lived a jovial life in safety being on very good terms with any pirate who put in he had indeed two or three brass guns before his door which he was wont to salute the appearance of a black flag with to his house then the whole gang repaired and while they were making merry cullen mayle addressed himself with an arduous friendliness to peter tortue taking his watch from his fob and bidding the frenchman to admire it for a quarter of an hour he busied himself in this way and then of a sudden in a stern commanding voice he said stand up in the centre of the room which peter tortue obediently did now continued cullen with a chuckle to his companions i'll show you a trick that will tickle you peter and he turned toward him peter and he spoke in the softest friendliest voice you talk too much i'll clap a gag on your mouth you stinking awful to-morrow night my friend at ten o'clock by my watch when we are lying in our boat upon the river you will fall asleep do you hear that yes said peter tortue gazing at mail at half-past ten as you sleep you will feel cramped for room and you will dangle a leg over the side of the boat in the river do you hear that yes very well said cullen that will learn you to hold your tongue now come back to your chair peter obeyed him when you wake up added cullen you will continue to talk of my watch which you so much admire you will not be aware that any time has passed since you spoke of it before you can wake up now he made some sort of motion with his hands and peter whose eyes had all this time been opened said 
I'll buy a watch as like as that as a pea to a pea. First thing I will, as soon as I handle my share. Cullen Mayle laughed, but he was the only one of the company that did. The rest rather shrank from him as from something devilish, at which, however, he only laughed the louder, being, as it seemed, flattered by their fear. The next day the six men started up the river in a longboat which they borrowed of Leadstone, and sailed all that day until evening when the tide began to fall. Thereupon Cullen, who held the tiller, steered the boat out of the channel of the river and over the mud-banks, which at high tide were covered to the depth of some feet. Here all was forest, the great tree-trunks, entwined with all manner of creeping plants, stood up from the smooth oily water, and the roof of branches overhead made it already night. "'I have lost my way,' said Cullen. "'It will not be safe to try to regain the channel until the tide rises. It falls very quickly here,' Leadstone tells me, "'and we should get stuck upon some mud-bank. Let us look for a pool where we may lie until the tide rises in the morning.' Accordingly they took their oars and pulled in and out amongst the trees, while Cullen Mayle sounded with the boat-hook for a greater depth of water. The tide fell rapidly, bushes of undergrowth scraped the boat's side, and then Mayle's boat-hook went down and touched no bottom. "'This will do,' said he. It was nine o'clock by his watch at this time, and the crew without any fire or light made their supper in the boat as best they could. Meanwhile the tide still sank. Banks of mud rose out of the black water. The forest stirred and was filled with a horrible rustling sound of fish flapping and crabs crawling and scuttering in the slime and on the pool on which the boat lay every now and then a ripple would cross the water as though a faint wind blew and a broad black snout would show and a queer lugubrious cough echo out amongst the tree-trunks crocodiles peter said cullen gaily and he clapped tortue on the shoulder it would not be prudent to take a bath in the pool hand the lantern over glen and when he had the lantern in his hand, he looked at his watch. Five minutes to ten, said he. Well, it is not so long to wait. Four hours, grumbled Tortue, who was thinking of the tide. No, only five minutes, my friend, Cullen corrected him softly. And sure enough, in five minutes, Peter stretched himself and complained that he was sleepy. Cullen laughed with a gentle enjoyment and whistled a tune between his teeth. But the others waited in a sort of paralysis of horror and amazement. Even these hardened men were struck with a cold fear. The suggestions of the place, too, had their effect. Above them was a black roof of leaves. The close air was foul with the odor of things decaying and things decayed and everywhere about them was perpetually heard the crawling and pattering of the obscene things which lived in the mud. Peter Tortue stirred in his sleep, and Cullen held up the face of his watch in the light of the lantern, so that all in the boat might see. It was half-past ten. Peter lifted his leg over the side and let it fall with a splash in the water. 
It dangled there for about five minutes, and then the man uttered a loud scream and clutched at the thwart, but the next instant he was dragged over the boat's side. Roper told me this story, and the horror of it lived again upon his face as he spoke. Well, said I, the father took his revenge. He stabbed Cullen Mayle to the heart as he lay in bed. There is one thing more I would like to know. Can you remember the paper with the directions of the spot where the cross was buried? Yes, said he. Am I likely to forget it? Could you write them out again, word for word and line for line, as they were written? Yes, said he. I called for a sheet of paper and a pen and ink and set them before Roper, and he wrote the directions laboriously and handed the paper back to me. There were only two lines with which I was concerned, and they ran in this order. The S. Isle of St. Helen's Church, three chains east by the compass of the east window. Are you sure you have made no mistake, I asked? This is a facsimile of the paper which you took from the hollow of the stick. Look again. I gave it back to him, and he scratched his head over it for a little. Then he wrote the directions again upon a second sheet of paper, and when he had written, tore off a corner of the paper. Ah, said I, that is what I thought. He handed it to me again, and it ran now. The S. Isle of S. Helen's Church, three chains east by the compass of the east window. On that corner which had been torn, a word had been written. I knew the word. It would be Cornish. I knew, too, who had torn off the corner. The cross still lies, then, three Cornish chains east of that window, or should do so. We, at all events, have not disturbed it, for we do not wish to have continually before our eyes a reminder of those days when the sailors watched the house at Merchant's Point. Even as it is, I start up too often from my sleep in the dark night and peer forward, almost dreading again to see the flutter of white at the foot of the bed, and to hear again the sound of someone choking. End of chapter 19 End of The Watchers by A. E. W. Mason